This is part two of our series on universal fears and desires. If you haven't listened to part one, I suggest you jump over and listen to that one first and then come back and enjoy this episode where we really dive into the fears. Hi, I'm Heather Wood, and I'm an intuition and ego expert. And I'm Jamie Hayhurst, and I'm an energy healer. We're both passionate about smashing the patriarchy, integrity in the spiritual world, and social justice. This is the Intuitive Girl's Guide. Hey, Jay, let's continue talking about desires and fears, and let's really get into the fears this week. What do you think? Yes, I want you to insert my like evil maniacal laugh right here. I love this part. This is the best part for me. I would just like to say I recommend three deep breaths before doing any work into your own fears. Relax your jaw, relax your shoulders, get comfy. I actually love this part, but I think I'm in, I'm one of like the small anomaly group that I love this part. I love digging in. Yes. Well, you and I are people who are very comfortable being triggered in our own bullshit. Like we actually love that, but I'm not sure that everyone else feels that way. But I think if you listen to this podcast, you're probably that kind of person. (laughs) That's actually why we trigger people It's because, because we are okay with being triggered by our own shit. And we think everyone else is. And sometimes our presence just naturally triggers people. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Both together, it can be a lot for people. (laughs) Yeah, we are a lot. (laughs) I would like to just recap that these fears are abandonment, rejection, and fraud. Okay, being seen as a fraud. Everybody fears all three. Yes, they do. Your ego, its job is to find when these things might happen and to highlight them to you. And it takes one and prioritizes it. Yes. Now, remember when you asked me, Jay, about like the nature versus nurture? Yeah. I think that this, the fears, nurture plays a bit more of a role. I do think there's nature for sure. But I think nurture plays a heavier role in the fears than it does in the desires. Exactly. Because I think the ego needs an event that it can then base its fears off of. Yes. Your ego reads everything that's ever happened to you as evidence of whatever narrative it's trying to fit. So it's taking experiences and sort of like developing them into stories about yourself that most likely aren't actually true. Exactly. Yeah. It's tricky, but it does do it to serve you just so you know. Yeah, no, your ego isn't something that you're trying to like kill, kill the ego. No, no. We're not we're not doing that. Your ego is just trying to protect you. It's just like the it's the more primitive part of you that's just trying to keep you alive. Exactly. And we live in a society that doesn't understand intuition or ego. So that's why you feel kind of controlled by your ego and like it might be a bad guy because you've been conditioned to like only listen to it, not your intuition. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So Again, all three of these you experience, but one is your thorn in your side. It steers your behavior, right? The the desires drive, the fears steer, right. um, and it, it changes the way that you operate. You can see it in people's behavior. People are constantly, and you want to think about this more in like you're protecting yourself from it happening to you. You're not usually thinking of it in present or past. Does that make sense? So people are always doing things to avoid dealing with having to experience one of these three things. Exactly. 
Okay. Let's start with abandonment. Yes. Let's start with that. Jamie, you happen to know a little bit about this one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you've listened to our episodes, you'll know that this is abandonment for a long time, really absolutely controlled how I lived my life was to avoid abandonment. And this is why you want to understand them because it will loosen the grip of control when you understand. And it will actually, knowing which one of these three is your biggest will actually help you feel a lot safer all the time because you can do things to help yourself feel better ahead of time. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So Jamie's universal fear, her number one is abandonment. Yep. So this is just the fear that the people who you love and a lot of times the people who you feel dependent on in any way are going to suddenly and abruptly leave you. Right. Which would happen when you experience death. I mean, that a lot of people who experience the trauma of death, certainly um, unexpected death will trigger that in you. Yes. So death at a young age, especially a parent leaving or not being present, a even I see it in people who have older siblings who maybe go off to college and they were like a big part of their life. There's all different ways. It's not, there's not, it's not like those are the only three, but those are ones I see often. Or like divorce. A divorce. Absolutely. Where someone who was there leaves. I've even seen it with trauma of like your best friend that you grew up across the street from when you're eight moves away or something can can come in at any time. Now, because nurture is so strong here, I want to just also say, I believe a lot of people come into this world with one sort of like destined to steer them. Right. I agree with that. I really do. And then I think things happen that like enforce it, but like I, when I think of the case of you, if it's okay to share, you yes. you lost your mom when you were what? Less one. than one. Okay, one. One. Okay. So it's not like you remember her quote unquote abandoning you. Exactly. I do not remember her. But it's like in your DNA. Yes, that experience. I, I mean, I was 13 months old, so mm-hmm. I don't remember that, but it it colored my whole entire environment. Obviously I was tracking that she left, but I was also tracking how it impacted my father, how it impacted my home, how it impacted people that came in to then help. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole thing was affected. Yes. I would also just like to point out if I can, that you just use the term left, your mom died. That's what abandonment people do. They talk about it like that. Like people who like literally stopped breathing, like they died left them. And that's exactly. how it feels. I, I'm not belittling yeah. it. I'm just saying like, there's a clue if you're looking for one. Yes. It feels like it was a, like it was a choice. Yes. So then your dad passed away when you were 19, 20, when you were 20. Yeah. And so you already had that developed and then right, 20, you also lose your dad. So now you feel abandoned by both parents. Like, so my point is like, it's not like that didn't kick in until you were 20. It was already developed in there. Right. Well, and to your point about the ego telling the story is that my ego was then like, you are now like the, the poor orphaned girl. Like it, it, my father dying re like just really reinforced the story that like, look, see Jamie, everyone's going to leave you. Exactly. So if this is your main fear, like Jamie, 
then you operate in a way where you are constantly either preparing for or trying to protect yourself against people leaving you. So the idea of depending on somebody else or letting somebody close is incredibly scary. Right. So vulnerable. It's very, very vulnerable. And if this isn't your number one, it's not as much. Like you'll be like, yeah, that's that stinks when people leave. I don't like that. I try to avoid that. Right. Yeah, you experience that. But if that to you is like, I worry about that every day and in every interaction with people, then that is your number one. I was just going to say, if it's not your number one, then you would worry about it probably on like a bigger scale. Like you'd worry about your parents dying someday or maybe about one of your children dying or something. Someone who that's their number one, they take like criticism from their boss as abandonment. Like they take like like sort of menial everyday interactions as a potential threat for abandonment. That's such a great way to say it because it it really is like everything that's happening to you, you're processing it through the filter of abandonment. Right. And exactly. if your rejection, it's through that filter. If it's fraud, it's through that filter. Right. And the right. reason that's so important to know is because everyone just automatically assumes that everyone's filtering through the same filter they are. Exactly. Just so, like with the desires. Exactly. So if you don't like I'm I'm rejection, we'll get to that next. Yeah. Um, But if I'm trying to comfort Jamie and how I would be comforted as somebody who fears rejection over abandonment, she won't feel as comforted. It won't work because she would prefer rejection to abandonment any day of the week. I would prefer abandonment to rejection. So it's important to understand and know that for, for so many reasons, but also to just get that, like, you're literally filtering it through that and somebody else is filtering it differently. Exactly. And people don't know to cater to yours. Exactly. Exactly. So if you are an abandonment fear person, you probably have ended relationships that didn't need to be ended because something triggered you to think that someone might be abandoning you. Exactly. It's a, it's sort of a proactive pre abandonment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If I abandon you, you can't abandon me is like the secret club motto. It's like how you get into the club. You say that sentence and then you get let in. (laughs) Exactly. And it makes sense when you're living it, when it's not like at the, you know, the forefront of your brain, if you're just like sort of thinking logistically and tactically, like, all right, well, this isn't working for me. I'm done. Peace out. Mm -hmm. You don't realize you're abandoning. You just, you're making a smart move. Yes. And I would like to also point out that people with abandonment don't just do it with people. They do it with jobs. They do it with places. They do it with locations. They do it with everything. If they think they might be abandoned, they will abandon first. Yeah. And like once a tie is, is cut, it is severed. Exactly. Exactly. You won't get the chance to abandon them again. Let's just say that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's so important to understand this about yourself because if you know this, you can protect yourself better and you can make sure you don't steer away from the things you actually want just based on this fear. Like you can ask yourself better questions. Exactly. It, it, if you can see this about yourself, whatever your fear is, once you know it, it's, I know we say this all the time, but it's going to be a game changer for you. You're going to be like, Oh, that's why I do that. Uh-huh. And, and in a moment you're going to be like, Oh my God, that's why I want to do this right now. Exactly. That's why I want to delete this person's number from my phone. 
Yes. You know what I mean? Exactly. And here's the thing. You know those, maybe this is just me. I'm pretty sure it's not. Maybe I'm more neurotic than most people. But you know when you lay in bed at night and you get trapped in a thought loop about something that happened during the day or that something you're worried about? Yep. If you're an abandonment person, it has to do with either being abandoned, feeling abandoned, or fearing abandonment. Right. Yeah. In any of those. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and right. isn't just, so you're filtering through, but then your brain gets stuck there. It's like, I can't, I can't move through this because my ego constantly is bringing this up to me because there's no solution to it yet. And it's, it's the thing it's scared most of, you know, happening for me. Right. Or even if it's something that is a different fear, even if it's something that I read as rejection, it can't just be rejection. It has to be that this person is rejecting me. So now they're going to abandon me. Exactly. It couldn't be just that they disagreed with me or that they didn't like what I said or that they have a problem with me. My ego goes from that. And then we're instantly into like, so now he's, they're never going to speak to me again. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense, but that it makes a ton of sense to my ego. Yeah. It's not necessarily logical. It's that that's how your ego is processing it. And that's how it's bringing its concern to you. Right. Yeah. And so you want to understand it so you can protect yourself better and you can understand, you know, when I, when I'm helping people with abandonment issues, I'm so often reminding them that they are only in control of how they feel and how they operate, not how other people do. And that other people aren't actually trying to abandon them. They're just trying to deal with their own stuff. Right. Right. This kind of tracks for all three of these fears. (laughs) So it's about rerouting it for yourself and going like, am I not letting this person help me because I'm afraid if I trust them to help me and in the future they leave, I'll, I'll struggle with that. Or am I not letting this person help me because I actually don't need it? Like, do you know what I mean? Like building in the questions, the sort of things like, am I operating this way because of this or because of this? That's what you want to do with your fears. Exactly. Now, if I'm talking to someone who has an abandonment fear, okay, what I'm going to do is use a lot of language about the future to them. Yes. It calms an abandonment person down in the snap of a finger. To be <laughs> okay. If you're talking, even if they're not your BFF, like in, in my instance, right? Like if you're just talking to someone, if, if I'm talking to someone who works in the coffee shop or whatever, and I know abandonment is their thing, I'm going to talk about us doing something in a year or how I value what they might contribute on Halloween or something. Like I'm going to talk about us being connected to each other in the future. And I'm going to watch their whole energy change as soon as I do that. It's so smart. It is the soothing, comfortable blanket you can wrap around people with that fear. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to rejection. Okay. There was ever a poster child for rejection. It is me. <laughs> you might be abandonment's poster child, Jay, but I am rejections. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Okay. So this is the fear that people are going to see who you really are and decide that that is not something they want anywhere near them. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. People with rejection as their biggest fear have always felt different. I think I was born. I think I took my first breath and I was like, I don't think I belong here. (laughs) 
Exactly. You felt like you didn't fit in. I still do. Now it doesn't affect me. Same as you, Jamie, like you still always are looking at abandonment and feeling abandoned. Like it, it, it happens to us all the time, right? I still right. am, am feeling rejected constantly, but you do something different with it when you know. Yes. It doesn't become this terrible, emotional, devastating thing anymore. It becomes like, oh, this is that. Exactly. This is unpleasant and uncomfortable, but this is just that. Right. And you understand why why it's happening to you and why you're having these thoughts. Yes. Now, people who fear rejection, like me, tend to do what I did for a very long time, which is try to detect what other people want them to be and show up like that. Yeah. So people pleasing, people pleasing, you sort of are different with whoever you're around. You show up how you think they need you. You're constantly in a state of editing yourself because you, you're so afraid that someone's going to go, Oh, I don't like the way you show up that you just show up in a way that you think they want. Right. And those characteristics in and of themselves are not necessarily bad. Like being able to chameleon yourself or like, adjust yourself to to help someone or to serve someone, that can be a great thing. But when you're doing it and you don't know why, and you're doing it all the time, it's exhausting, first of all. Yeah. And I think you lose a lot of yourself. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. When it becomes that, and this is true for abandonment as well, when it becomes that you're sacrificing yourself and your own needs and how you want to show up and like your own identity to protect yourself from feeling the way then right. it's bad. Exactly. My fear of rejection used to be the thing that held me back in life. And now I use it to better connect with people. Exactly. Because I, I'm good at it. I'm good at chameleoning, if that's a word, right? Yeah. But I don't, I don't sacrifice who I am anymore to do it. I'm, I mean, I'm sure I screw up and do that sometimes, but I'm not trying to say I've got it perfect. But do you know what I'm saying? Right. Now, yeah. it's just like, oh, if I shift my tone of voice this way, if I know what their desires and fears are and present to them in a way that feels better, that's going to help. Like you become a master at those things because it, you better connect to people instead of just going like, well, I'll hide all of who I am so you don't see it. Like you remove that element and it becomes okay. Does that make sense? Yes. And I, th- I think that people who, if they don't realize that this is steering their life, I think that they sort of, find that they have to be this person with this group of people and they have to be that person at work and they have to be this other person when they're with their family. And then they're this guy over here with their friends. And then your whole life, I think on an extreme, an extreme case, your life can start to feel really fractured. Yes, exactly. And, and cohesive. Like you're not, you can't just it, that's a ton of work. That's a ton of emotional work to be like, you're constantly shifting gears of like, oh, wait, this is how I act with this person. Yeah, because the underlying truth to that is that you believe that who you are is wrong. It doesn't, it, it doesn't count. Nobody likes it. So right. You are just constantly being someone else. And even though it's a subtle thing, it's like you're constantly telling yourself that you don't like who you are or that who you are is bad or who you are, in my case, is too much for everybody. Right. Right. Like there's always a story. Yep. And with all three of these, if you are like, look around your life right now, if mm-hmm. you are depleted because you're giving to everyone, 
And all your relationships, all of them are skewed in the direction of give everything you've got. And then you feel like people don't give you back anything. Right. You are operating like too strongly on one of these three fears. It's, it's, it's hurting you is my point. Right. And it could be any of them. You could be doing that and depleting yourself because you're afraid to be rejected. I could be doing it because I'm afraid to be abandoned. And someone else could be doing it because they're afraid they're, they're going to be shown as a fraud. Exactly. So if that's the case with you and your relationships or the majority of your relationships, this needs to be worked on. Prioritize yeah. this because I it will change your world in such an amazing way. You yeah. will feel so much better. And this is from two people right here who who did it wrong, <laughs> who were obsessively protecting themselves and feeling bad about it all the time and going, why don't people show up for me back? Why am I only showing up for other people? Right. Now, I will also just PSA right here, empaths and anybody, it's okay that you give more to everybody than they give to you. Yes. The percentages don't need to be even. Right. That's, you'll just set up to never have a friendship if that's how you look at it. <laughs> right, exactly. But if you don't feel like you're getting enough or you don't feel safe showing up how you are, like really, right? that's the part that you need to look at. Exactly. I think we've discussed in other episodes that like our, you know, if if you're an intuitive or an empath, your 100% is probably like most people's 150 or 200%. Exactly. So like the, those percentages aren't going to balance out and be even. It's not like with everyone in your life, you give 100% and they give 100% back because their all isn't going to match yours. Yeah. And it never will. And even if like, like everyone thinks that, like, do you know what I mean? Like you and your friend both think you give more is what I mean. You and your spouse both think you give more than the other because you can't ever match somebody else's needs. That's not your role as a friend or a spouse or in anything, but it's, it's that if you feel like it's never coming back the other way, or it's unsafe to show up as how you really are, then right. you are operating purely in fear is, is yes. the point. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. So people afraid of rejection tend to sacrifice who they are to be liked immediately. Right. Okay. So understand that. Now, listen, as a rejection person, I would much rather you be nice to me in the moment I've met you and for the next hour. And then like, never call me back than to when I first meet you, we not drive. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I'm fine. If we never talk again, totally good. Like, I mean, it doesn't feel great, but like, I'm not worried about that. But if I'm showing up and you're giving me the cold shoulder or not talking to me or giving me a look like you don't like my pants or something, I'm that's terrible torture. That's interesting because I feel like I really, identify a lot with the fear of rejection, but that, that is a good example of how different it is. Because if I don't connect with someone immediately, then I'm not worried because we never connected. So then you're never leaving. Exactly. So see that guys, whichever one of those, because people confuse these two, because they're similar for sure. Whichever one of those scenarios is the one that bothers you more. That's the indicator. Yeah. Okay. We'll be right back after this short break.
it's season three of the podcast and there were a few things that are a little bit different. Yep. We're all growing. We're all changing. So I cut my hair. Looks incredible. Thank you. Jamie, you now have curly hair. I'm doing the curly girl method and I love it. It looks incredible. But something else has changed that we we really need to talk about. I'm, I'm really surprised it's not on the news, to be honest. It's sort of earth shattering for any of our listeners. This might come as a shock to you. <laughs> Tell them what it is, Jay. Well, you all know from our previous ads for Restoration Coffee that I was a loyal drinker of a large, hot Rachel with oat milk latte, right? That was my go-to. But listen, times are changing. We're all up-leveling here. We're all moving into 5D. We have different hairstyles. And it turns out (laughs) that my now preferred drink of choice is a large iced page latte. So however you're evolving in your life and moving on, you need great coffee. So go ahead to Restoration Coffee if you're local. If not, go order some beans and it'll help in the process. Don't you think, Jay? Yep. Love it. Love Resto. Visit restoration-coffee.com. Let's talk about what we're obsessed with this week. This week, and really for a couple of weeks or forever, let's just be honest, forever. <laughs> we're all we've Heather and I have been talking a lot, and this might be triggering for some people. So I just want to let you know, like hit the old fast forward button if you need to to get back to the episode. But Heather and I have been talking a lot about food. Mm. Right? Yeah, well, we love food. Well, yes. It's our favorite, but we also struggle hard in having a healthy relationship to it, both of us. Right. And so we've been both, I mean, Heather for years has been into the whole intuitive eating thing. I've been getting into it and reading up on it. And that's something that we're considering for a podcast episode. So if if you like that, let us know, give us some feedback. Mm-hmm. But it's like this strange collision course of trying to find what works best for your body, but also the world. So like no pressure, Um, (laughs) but also what works for your budget and what works inside of your own family unit and then what works inside of your life. Yeah. It's exhausting. It is. And it it freaking changes. I know. And it really shouldn't be like, I feel like you said, I love food so much. It can be such an enjoyable experience. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like this world has sort of like sucked the fun out of it. Yes. Here's here's my weird tangent about food. What? It's like growing up and being taught all the wrong things about food your whole entire life. Everything that you're taught is wrong. And you are conditioned to have this incredibly toxic relationship with how you nourish your body. And it's worse if you are a woman or if you were raised presented, you know, in the gender of a girl, for sure. It's bad for both, but for sure as a woman, right? Because you're also on top of everything else supposed to take up the least amount of space. And that's like the most value, right? Right. Exactly. That's such a good point. So your whole life, you're taught 
to have this very toxic relationship and everything you're taught is wrong, including like the stupid food pyramid. That's not even right. Like everything that you learned about how to be a healthy person is Uh totally bullshit. And it's actually all hurting you all the time. And then at some point in your life, when you hit somewhere in your twenties, most likely, or in your late teens, your body starts to call bullshit on the relationship you have with food because it starts to hurt it. And then society tells you that there's something wrong with you. And it makes me so mad, Jamie, as you can hear in the tone of my voice right now, because it's like, how dare you label me society as like a disordered eater or whatever, when you have freaking raised me on only toxicity when it comes to food. Exactly. And when you talk about the food pyramid, I always think of, um, the got milk campaign. Yes. If you look into the got milk campaign, I mean, that might be, I'm, I might be aging myself, but like <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars were put in by the milk industry. Like I call it big milk. <laughs> I talk about it's like big pharma, yeah. like big milk put hundreds of millions of dollars into an ad campaign to get people to drink milk on the false premise that it was superior for your health. Yep. I remember Cindy Crawford with her milk mustache. Oh, like Marky Mark or something, yes. something like that. I don't know. But, and then when you have <laughs> moments when you're like, what? Not only is this bullshit, not only do I feel like shit, but you all were lying. Yeah. And then you're mad at me because I have like belly issues and I now can't ingest dairy. Like, right. There's something wrong with me. I'm I'm the problem. But <laughs> makes right. me think of that meme. Like, am I the drama? <laughs> like, I'm not the drama. Right? <laughs> like, it's so crazy. Like, I remember the first time I learned. Like, hey, cows make milk for baby cows. Like, you're not supposed to drink that past like age two or maybe even ever. I was yeah. like, how is that so obvious? And I didn't get it because that's how you were programmed. Yeah. So it's like. It drives me crazy because there's all this shame in like issues with eating and and having trouble with your relationship with eating and people don't talk about it enough. And it drives me crazy because you, we were literally raised to have a problem with it. And so it, it's really hard and it makes me feel like a weird conspiracy theorist because I don't trust anything anybody tells me about food. But the solution is to like really start to pay attention to your own body because what's what's right for my body is not what's right for yours. And to really take on that more intuitive eating, like what am I craving and why and how does my body operate? And oh, food can actually help me heal, but it can also soothe me. And I think that that's all actually okay. And I don't need to just restrict food to solve every problem. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and, and take that to like an intuitive level. If you, if you pull out from that and then you look at it from a, a the bigger picture, when does restriction actually work? I mean, I really can't think of any example to be honest. I mean, re- restriction is, is to me, I would say it's like ego. Yeah. It's, it's all fear. It's all fear. It's all like scarcity. Mm-hmm. So if you're an intuitive person and you're working on being balanced, restricting, removing, putting scarcity in your life is not probably the answer. Exactly. I remember the show. I don't think it's still on. I hope it's not the biggest loser. Oh God. Yep. Yep. And it was literally like restrict all your food, 
restrict all activity to only exercise that you don't even want to do, like right. your body and lose a bunch of weight and we'll celebrate you. And it started coming out that like all the people who did it were like gaining back more weight and were having all kinds of health issues and were like really depressed and all this kind of stuff. And everyone was like so baffled and confused. And to me, it was like, this is this, this show encapsulates the whole problem in that like, right. Really in, in most cases. And again, I don't want to generalize because that's the whole problem, but like in most cases, if you want to make a change to your body, restricting food is not going to do that. No, it sends your body into like a, a stress mode. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, but that's everything we've been taught, like count your calories, exactly. just eat less or exercise yourself to death. So you burn more energy than you, you know, than your calories and you're taking in. And the fact that that feels like base knowledge is actually completely wrong and completely toxic makes my head spin. Exactly. And, and add on top of that, that you're then like uh, in your thirties or forties and you feel like an infant because you're trying to learn how to literally just do like one of the basic mechanisms of your keeping your body alive. Like I now as a 42 year old woman, I'm like trying to actually figure out how to eat in a way that my body wants. Mm -hmm. And it's not even easy. It's It's not even just like figuring out, like making Heather walk me through it and like help me uncover all the, the narratives and the vows and all that stuff that I've created it's then like figuring out what my body actually wants, like mm-hmm. what actually works with my particular body, because the answer isn't the same as Heather's body. Yes. And and the thing is that in itself is complicated enough, right? Just right. that is enough of a lifetime of study to try to freaking figure out. Right. Never mind. Why am I choosing the behaviors that are not serving my body? Like, right. For me, for example, why do I feel the need to stockpile things that I like and then oddly restrict what it is and make myself feel bad because I want to eat it? It's like this weird thing I set myself up for every week. Like I love potato chips more than most anything else. Potatoes are my life. If you're like, what one food could you live on? Potatoes would be the answer. Okay. So whatever it is, I buy a ton of it. And then feel guilty when I eat it and worry there's not going to be enough. And I literally set myself up for that torture every week. And I have so much trouble getting myself out of it. So, and I know you have your own pattern. Like it's, it's, so it isn't even just the basics. It's like, why am I behaving this way? It's gone so far beyond food. It's gone. It's, it's become like a part of who we are as a person in this society. Yeah. And how we take care of ourselves. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Clearly, we are obsessed on that. Clearly. If you guys want to hear more about this, I think we might need a whole episode on it, to be honest. But this is definitely something we have spent a lot of time talking about. And again, I think it's that change in season where like, you're coming into a change in season. Life gets busier, I feel like, in the in September and October and in that time, certainly into the holidays. Yep. I feel like it's real easy to like lose the ability to deal with food. Right. Or, and to, it's easy to feel overwhelmed by it. Yeah. And to start instead of, even instead of using the language, like making healthy choices or unhealthy choices, something like, Oh, I'm doing things that aren't serving me. I feel like that's a way better reframe. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, we are completely obsessed with that. Let us know if you guys are too. Yes, please let us know. The last one is being seen as a fraud. 
which I also identify with. Yes, of course. <laughs> we'll all identify with all of these, but it's the right. one that really trips you up in life, right? Same as the question with like, which one would, would stall your momentum with desires? It's it, You can apply yeah. this to the fears too. If this, right. if you felt this fear or this was happening to you, how fast could you move forward? And for me, rejection would be, I couldn't move forward. I would be laying in a puddle. And for you, it would be abandonment would be laying in a puddle. Right. Like that's that's right. how you know. So fraud is like having this fear that someone is going to listen to you talk or you're going to say something and they're going to go, you know what? You actually don't know anything about that. You're not qualified to give me that advice. You're not qualified to speak or take up space. It's the idea that you being qualified is your greatest thing. Like you're constantly second guessing whether you should speak up or not. You're, you never want to give advice because you might not be qualified or they might say you're not qualified and you really shy away from presenting yourself at good at anything because what if you mess up one time right so having a podcast probably might not be <laughs> a good place for someone with this fear like this is the fear that this is the fear that triggers with us being presented publicly in a podcast and i i also think that the presence of this fear for us and the fact that we understand this is probably why we get complimented on owning up to not knowing everything all the time. Right, exactly. Because we're like, please don't paint us as an expert. Like we are an expert in what we're an expert in. We're going to talk about other stuff, but we don't know everything. We're not going to pretend that we know everything about everything. Exactly. I think there's probably not a lot of podcasters who are fraud people. Exactly. Yeah. I think it would be too much. Yes. So if you think into like childhood there is typically a parent or some really influential person who is constantly degrading you in some way. Okay. All right. Gotcha. This sort of like emotional abuse is typically what leads to people being very doubtful of their abilities. Yep. That makes sense. So if you had a parent that was constantly like doubting that you were good at stuff, or if you're going to do something, they were like overly... Or, or let me paint it this way. They were overly making you prioritize how other people were viewing you and, and your strengths and what you were good at rather than what you really are. Then right. fraud is going to co crop up as a problem for you. Exactly. Right. Because so you forget who you are. You don't, you don't ever learn like who you are outside of someone else's vision of you. Exactly. So let's, let's show the influence as grades how your parents reacted to your grades. Okay. Yep. So if you got a bad grade and you're the sort of, this is exaggerated because I don't think people probably really talked like this. Maybe some do, but if they're, if your parents are like, what are other people going to think about you and me as a parent, because you got this right. bad grade, if that's the thing being said to you, fraud is most likely your big one. Yep. And I think that sucks because it's actually, it's actually the parent's problem. Yeah. It's not really it's not really what they what would they think of you. It's what would they think of me as a parent, but the kid then takes on all of that baggage. And you know what the crazy thing is? It's the parents' fear of rejection. Uh, Create yeah. the kid's fear of being seen as a fraud. Yes, it makes so much sense. Yeah. I like the noises you made when I said that. Um, well, but see how see how important it is? Like that's what we mean when we say it's a game changer. Like when you can put these pieces together and understand. Why did my parents talk to me like this? Why, why did this happen? Why did so-and-so do this to me? If 
it doesn't make it okay. But if you can understand why, it just totally shifts the perspective. Yeah, they were just operating out of their own fear. Right. Yeah. And the more, I feel like abusive might be too strong of a word, but I'm going to use it here. Maybe you can help me fill in a better one. The more sort of abusive they were about that, or the more responsibility of easing that they handed to you as a kid, the more it ruled their life, the more like powerless they were to it. Right. Exactly. Okay. So let's say that the script between your parents, you come on with a bad grade and you are punished for the bad grade. Right. You got this bad grade. You are punished. You, you can't do this for a week or whatever. And it isn't, it's not like, well, you didn't study and we told you to, or you didn't bother passing in. It's just that you didn't perform at the level of expectation and there's a punishment. Rejection is most likely yours. Okay. Gotcha. Right. If the parent is very disappointed in you for that and they use that language, rejection's probably up there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Ouch. When someone says that, ouch. I know. Ugh. People who are contributors, that's like not good. <laughs> like, oh, I, I have I have contributed a poor thing to you. I must now go lay in the corner for two hours. <laughs> you are disappointed in me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. And then with abandonment. Mm-hmm. If you get the bad grade and the thing that your parents say is a future consequence, meaning like you now can't do something. So I'll just give you an example. Um, how are you ever going to get a job? Oh, <laughs> yes. That's I abandonment. I see. Right. I was wondering what, what you were going to use as an example for that. And that that absolutely tracks. You are abandoning a future thing that you want or it's abandoning you based on the bad grade. Right, because this bad grade has now ruined your life. Exactly. Now, abandonment people tend to raise abandonment people, just saying. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, so that's just an example. I'll give you one more for detecting your fear, one more scenario that you can test. Okay. And this is anyone who's like me and you're an outgoing introvert or just an introvert in any way, this is a nightmare but I'm sorry to do this to you. I have to trigger fear. <laughs> it's my <Sorry. laughs> Imagine right now that you have to go to a party where everybody knows each other, but nobody knows you and you don't know anybody. Yeah, I'm not going to that party. Oh, me. <laughs> we're blaming COVID and we're not going, but <laughs> there's no way Jamie and I are going. The only way I would go was would be if Jamie would go with me because there would be a person there that if I was feeling rejected, I could go to who I know accepts me. Exactly. Right. Exactly. The only way I would tolerate that scenario. Okay. Anyways, let's think about this fun time that you're going to have at this party. Yes. If your main thing going through your head is, this is going to be hard because I'm going to meet all these people. They're going to act like they like me. Like we get along. I'm going to put this effort in at this party. And then... I'm going to go and I'm never going to see them again, or they're never going to call me again. Like that is abandonment. If that's the thing running through your head. Yeah. I would be saying, what's the point of going? I'm not going to know anybody and I'm never going to see them again. So what's the, what's why, why bother? Exactly. That, that look at like, but in the future, okay. That's what abandonment people are constantly thinking about. But in the future that those people won't still be there. Right. Most likely. So why would I put any time into that? Right. Exactly. Okay. If you are rejection, you're thinking 
oh God, when I get there, who am I going to talk to? What if I start talking to someone and they don't like me? Do I have anything in common with them? Could anyone possibly get me a spreadsheet on things that people like to talk about who are attending this party? So when I go in, I can have the right topic to interest people. That is rejection. Yes, it sure is. I couldn't care less if I never hear from anyone at that party. I haven't gotten there. I don't I don't care. If I leave that party and felt like I talked to like three people and had some sort of connection with them, I won't lose a wink of sleep if I never speak to them again. No problem. I don't actually want any more people in my life. <laughs> but the idea of the walk-in and like, how is this conversation going to go? And am I, are they going to like me right away? How are, are they going to see who I really am? That is mental torture to me. Right, exactly. That's rejection, baby. Yep. Okay. If you're thinking about going to the party and you're like, okay, what if we get onto a subject and I share an opinion and somebody then disagrees with it and gives evidence as to why I'm wrong, then you are a 100% a fraud person. Right. Like you're afraid someone's going to call you out for something and you're not going to know how to respond or you're going to be embarrassed in front of everybody. Yes. The other thing that you might be thinking if you're a fraud person is what if someone at that party knows that I made a mistake in 1995. Yes, right, exactly. And and they're like, I don't trust anything you say because you once, you know, 1995, I know you, you know, overcharged, over, you know, extended your credit limit or something. Right, exactly. Or what if, some, what if I walk in and someone realizes that this dress, this is a knockoff purse. Yes. Or like, and someone says like, that's not a real... Yeah. Whatever, whatever a trendy bag is, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. That, like, that's a that's not an actual bag from Target. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> like those aren't real Louboutin shoes or whatever. Right. I mean, like whatever. But that would be something that you would be worried about. Exactly. I would probably be the weirdo that like announced inappropriately that it's a fake bag. Yes. Yeah, and everyone's like, no one no one asked if it was. And I'm like, so this is a fake bag. Like, exactly. <laughs> because I don't want to be rejected. I, I'm thinking like maybe other people like fake bags and we can bond overall, like for fake bags. Right. Exactly. There you go. Okay. So you can use those to your advantage. And then I would just say, if you're still tr- struggling to figure out which one yours is, think about three events that really influenced your childhood and go which one of those could I put into, or which one, which one of those would go into a category? Like, is it, does right. it like an abandonment issue or rejection issue or being seen as a fraud or being told to be a fraud? It will probably be right. more accurate for that. So right. that will help you understand as well. That's a good point, Heather, that like, if you're told to be a fraud, that's what creates a fraud is being told to be, yes, is being told to be a fraud. And then you're constantly afraid you're going to get caught being a fraud. Right. Cause you feel like you can't be your true authentic self. Exactly. And then I, I'm not that. In fact, that fear I could have a bit more of. Right. <laughs> like, uh, I'm just like, oh, what's, what's the thing somebody needs? I've never done that or heard of that, but I'm probably the person for that job. Let me insert myself and, and do that. Like, I could use a bit more of that. So it just, it just depends on who you are. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you need someone to drive that dump truck? I I don't know how to do that, but sounds like okay. something I could figure out in a second, you know, and then I'm driving it like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> well, 
well, that's because you don't want to be rejected for not knowing how to drive it. So like you have so much in the other yeah. pile, yeah. you know, you no, know, it would get me some acceptance in this group. If I could drive the dump truck, like it, exactly. it's, just, it's just, it's understanding that. And then understanding it in other people. So if you're speaking to me and you want me to feel like my fear is subsided and to feel comfortable and more likely to do what you say, you're going to talk about use some sort of language of accepting me for who I am. Right. Exactly. So you say something, because I'm going to present a lot of the stuff about how I'm a weirdo. You can hear it on the podcast. I'm constantly doing that. That's like the way you're protecting yourself from abandonment. I'm protecting myself from you going like, that's weird. Right. Exactly. So you're going to make yourself weird. Right. So I'm like, here's a weird thing about me before you can pick it up. Right. Yes. So if I do that and I say, well, there's this weird thing about me. Like when I'm talking to someone and I'm, I'm just like making small talk, like, Hey, how are you? Oh, what do you do for work? Oh, what's that like? I'm actually not, I don't care about what your answer is. I'm actually trying to figure out what your universal fear and desires are because I'm such a weirdo. And if your response to that was, Oh, I actually think that's kind of cool. I love that. Then I would be like, I love you. We're connected forever. I feel safe here. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that would work. But if someone, if someone was an abandonment person and you said that to them, they would be like, that's nice, but it wouldn't do much is my point. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You want to use with, with rejection people, same. So abandonment people, you want to use future speak rejection people. You want to talk about accepting them and things you like about them, especially if there are things that are kind of unique. Like if someone's like, oh, I love, I really like that you have blonde hair. To me, I'm like, that's nice. But a lot of people have blonde hair, right? If it feels more like a unique thing to me, that feels like a real compliment. Yes. Okay. If you love someone who's afraid of being seen as a fraud, right? Yeah. Making them feel as if mistakes are your favorite things about them will absolutely calm them down. Right. Exactly. Letting, allowing them to be imperfect. Exactly. So fraud people will constantly cut their own, like their own brilliance down. So let's say that they're really good at understanding money. They'll be, they'll, they'll talk about that, but then they'll be like, but you shouldn't listen to me because I don't know. You probably Uh, shouldn't listen to me about that because I actually went bankrupt in, in 1997. If you said back, actually, the fact that you've, you went bankrupt and then came out of it, I actually value what you have to say more, for right. example, would make somebody feel much more comfortable. Like, oh, you actually, you actually value the mistakes. Exactly. And you're not going to cast me out. Yes. And, and I would never make fun of somebody who, about their mistakes if they were a fraud person. Right. Yeah. You'd be very cautious of how you make fun of people. Like I wouldn't ever come up to you and be like, ha. Another person left your life, huh, Jay? Like that would, I would never do that. I mean, that's not funny anyways, but like it wouldn't, do you know what I'm saying? Like you would watch the way you would talk. I would never be like, Jamie, I don't know if you should go do that because what if that person ends up not calling you back? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like I would never do that, but you might say it to someone who that's not their greatest fear. So you want to detect that as well. Exactly. Yeah. People who fear rejection are not good at taking criticism. So you want to softly give that to them. 
Yes, absolutely. All these things. All right. I could keep going for a million years, but I think we have to end because we've now done like two episodes on this. Exactly. And I want to hear, I want to know what people's, well, me, you know, I always go to the fears. I want to know what your universal fear is. I also want to know the other one too, like the desire, but I I do want to know what your fears are because I really think that that really impacts and informs how you live your life. Agreed. I want to know your combination. So I want you to say, you know, like Jamie and I, I'm a, I'm a loving connection and contribution. And I'm also a rejection. Like I want to know that because that to me, oh my God, I can, I can see you in my brain. As soon as I know those things, I get you. I want to know, I love looking at the combinations. I, I, it, it gets me excited and I can literally, if you tell me them, I'll be thinking like, oh, I bet you have trouble with this. Well, it's almost to me, it reads like, um, you're, big three in astrology, like your sun, moon, and rising. Yes. Those, the, the desires and the fear, it's, it's sort of the same thing. Yes. Like if I didn't know you, Jamie, and I knew that love and connection was in your top two and abandonment was your fear. I would, without knowing any other information, I would be like, Oh, relationships are tricky with you because you love 100% fully or not at all. Exactly. And right. like just from hearing that information, you know what I mean? And people are like, wow, you're so intuitive. And I'm like, well, I am, but that's just because I know, you're, I know those two things about you. Right. Do you know exactly. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And you can use those as an intuitive person. You can use this framework to enhance your own intuition. You're, you're probably already tapped into these things. You're probably already noticing them. Mm-hmm. But once you have sort of terminology for them and the framework of it, it's going to shoot your intuition right up. Yes. This is where my, all this Taurus in my chart and I'm an incredibly intuitive human by design works. And this is why I like, like these kind of like archetypes and things because we're all constantly picking up this information about people. Right. But it, it's so abstract the way it comes in intuitively. And when you can put it into a category, as long as you're not being like stereotyping and prejudice and doing awful things like that, if you can put it into a category to make you understand in like a quick way, how to, how to like treat people better and connect to people in a better way, it just feels easy, I think. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go try not to be rejected and you go try not to be abandoned and have a good rest (laughs) of your day. Thank you for all of this, Heather. My Super important. Thank you for adding in the variety of all the comments and like making sure we don't get too dry and just facts and making sure it's conversational because that's what you ask a variety person to do for you is in a podcast or anywhere in life. Like make sure this doesn't get too just, you know, according to my formula, please. And just add a little spice. Love it. <laughs> See you later, Jay. Can I ask everyone listening to do us a favor? Can you please go wherever you're listening to this, whatever platform you listen to the IGG on, can you go on for us, please? And like, whatever it's asking you to do, like, like, follow, download, rate, write a review. We would love for you to do that for us. Hey, thanks for listening to our episode. For show notes and a place to send feedback, please visit our website, embodylove.me slash intuitivegirls. Again, that's embodylove.me slash intuitivegirls.